Hello and welcome to the All Ears podcast by Give Her Up with me, Jeremy Inson. Give Her Up is a non-profit organisation that was developed to help rugby union players, club members, volunteers and coaches feel more comfortable talking openly and honestly about their mental health and well-being. In this series we're talking to women and men from across rugby union to find out how their involvement in the sport has affected their mental health in good and bad ways and to share their stories and the lessons they've learned thanks to being involved in Rugby Union. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. We hope you're enjoying good mental health wherever you are. Today's guest leapt into the public and rugby's consciousness back in 2019 when she started promoting rugby in non-traditional cultures and areas, notably among Muslim females. Her efforts led to awards and recognition throughout the sport. She is an Earl Grey tea aficionado, and we're delighted she's with us today. Our guest name is Zainad Alema, but she's known far and wide as Big Z. Welcome to the All <laughs> Podcast. Great to have you with us. Hi, thank you so much for having me. How's your mental health today? Uh, anything shaping it in good or bad ways? You know what? I remember um, listening to something that talked about having a scale of 1 to 10 and sort of gauging how you felt. And today I feel like I'm at a solid... I, would, I do, do want to say 10 because I think 10 is, means more like perfect, but I'm a solid 9. I feel great today. Fantastic. That's really good news. Thank you. Uh, now, you're a lady with a twin, twin-headed twin mission. The first bit we've mentioned, promoting rugby, non-traditional cultures in the UK and abroad. The other one's to become the first black Muslim woman to play for England's national team. Yes. Which one should we start to talk about first? Um, let's leave the dream to the end. So more of like a, a big bang. So let's talk about <laughs> the other bits first. <laughs> okay. So you've got two uh, big initiatives you're working on, Muslim Women in Rugby and Studs in the Mud. Can you just tell us a little about each of those? Yeah. So Studs in the Mud... Um, was the first one that I founded. So it's basically a rugby project, uh, which is now actually merged, it's become sort of now underneath the charitable arm of the Atlas Foundation, uh, which is run by um, Jason Leonard. Uh, but it's essentially um, a rugby project that I use to sort of use rugby to inspire and to empower women and children in Ghana. I'm of Ghanaian heritage and I wanted to really go back and do something for those out there I had to just do a bit of research and see whether or not rugby was a thing back then. It, it was, but although very young. Um, so it started off just like, you know, getting equipment and uh, rugby tools to ship over. A lot of people donated. I set up a GoFundMe page and different rugby clubs donated. At the time, I was playing for Millwall, Venus, um, and, you know, in Hertfordshire University also donated some money. And I bought some boots. I went over there, met with the young children, met with the women and donated them boots and just to see the smiles on their faces like how appreciative there was of just rugby boots which cost like 20 quid they were just so happy and I thought this is what I want to do I want to use my passion to help others um there's a lot more that I want to do with the project uh, but for now um you know it's to just sort of use rugby as a tool and a vehicle to help those of course studs in the mud that's more domestic is it it's sorry not the studs in the mud the Muslim women Muslim, yeah so that was more of like an online platform that I wanted to start so I noticed looking around there wasn't many people like me I being Muslim in rugby space and I wanted to create like a community if you like of um, like-minded people that you know had the faith uh, but also wanted to 
who enjoyed rugby, whether it's playing or watching, etc. Um, it's still sort of in its infancy. I haven't done too much about it, but I do want, you know, the aim is to create that community really. And hopefully if I get a group of Muslim women together who go and watch each other on a Saturday or Sunday or support each other or go to games to watch international matches, just that community, sense of community is, because I know for me, I felt alone. I often felt I was the only one. Uh, so I was hoping to create that sort of sense of community within the rugby space. So that's what it's all about, really. So what drove you to, to pick up and pick up the ideas and, and, and go ahead with them? Well, actually, I was on maternity leave. So I just had a child and I don't know if it was hormones or just the, you know, the being cooped up in at home, looking after this small child. I always have buzzing ideas I always feel like I want to change the world whenever I'm on maternity leave <laughs> so yeah it happened then that's when the sort of bright idea happened and I've sort of never looked back since then um and there's I mean all both of them and it goes back to just using rugby or using what I have to try and help others I think that's sort of the main when you break it all down that's what it's about really and when you're doing it when you first started going going what sort of challenges did you you come up against some sort of cultural perhaps some just simply financial um, and, and people saying, yeah. we haven't got the money, we, we haven't got the time almost. In terms of the charities? Yeah, so. for the charities. Um, so, yeah, I, to be honest with you, um, not many. A lot of people were willing to give money and to donate because I think I'm, I'm all about transparency and I love, you know, especially if I'm donating, I love to know where the money's going. I mean, for someone like me, obviously being of Ghanaian heritage, I was taking people through the steps. So I would take photos of, you know, the boots that I would buy. I'd make videos. When I went to Ghana, I made sure I was very open and honest about, you know, giving the, you know, equipment to the to the women and children out there. Um, so I don't, and not to your question, I don't think I felt I had many sort of, um, hiccups it kind of went really well you know um which is great if you have like a charitable cause going having to keep going to ask people for money and sometimes it's asking the same people and it's like okay but we just gave you so i guess maybe that could be something that is a bit challenging is finding new ways to to raise money to for good causes i think it's always something that you, you have to learn and just keep trying different avenues really and as it's gone on how, how have the responses changed or, or just grown in number well a lot of people keep asking me what's happening with studs and mud like what's going on so they're very interested which is amazing um uh so you know I, as i mentioned before it's now sort of become a umbrella under the umbrella of atlas foundation so a lot of the work that i'll be doing going forward will be under them um and I, the reason why i sort of did that because i wanted sort of the legal backing of it i wanted it to become part of a, a, a charitable cause a registered charity so I wanted them to deal with like sort of the governance and the legal side of it and you know but since for a while now actually maybe the last since covid i'll say i haven't actually done much um to pick up the charity because i've been focused on my own sort of rugby uh, goals and ambitions but it's not a lost cause it's something that i definitely still want to work on it's still i've got a, a lot of ideas in the pipeline so it's just about finding the time and energy to go back and, and do that now you went to, as you mentioned, you went to Ghana. Mm -hmm. You also went to Marrakesh. Mm -hmm. uh, quite a lovely spot to yeah. go to. I mean, both those places, not places we immediately think of as rugby mm -hmm. nations or rugby towns. Yeah. What was it like? What was, what was the setup there like? Um, and and, what, and the enthusiasm amongst other things. Yeah, there was a lot of enthusiasm when I went to Marrakesh. Um, a lot of the women out there, you know, you could tell that they really loved the sport. Um, they, again, similar things, sort of lack of resources. I mean, they had great pitches, well, great facilities and 
But things like, for example, the captain um, of one of the grassroots teams was telling me that um, sometimes on tournaments days, they would have to share boots. So, you know, she would wear boots, she would come off, be subbed off, and then she has to sort of take off her boots to give to a player to play. So things like that. And, you know, I thought there must be a way I could help. So, you know, I managed to um, get another donation going and the people donated boots and then um that was also collected and it's currently sitting in France actually <laughs> <laughs> um, because it was a means to get to Morocco during Covid I wasn't able to go to Morocco and present the boots to them so currently um in France and in the hopes that it will get to Morocco uh but yeah that's something like a little gesture you can do to help those and obviously them playing in boots that are comfortable that fit them um, obviously it's going to help them in their game and their performance. So it's, it's things, little things like that that, you know, means a lot to them. And when you're in Marrakesh, obviously, unlike here in the UK, it's, it's a Muslim-majority country. Mm-hmm. As a Muslim woman going over there, were mm-hmm. there things you saw in place that you think, yeah, that's kind of what we need back here in the in the UK? Um, I didn't take too much note. Well, first of all, maybe halal food. <laughs> because everything you eat in Morocco, you know, is halal. I could eat it. Um uh, in terms of meats, for example, and it was really nice to go to a country where, you know, it was a Muslim country. I didn't really have to think about things like um, where am I going to go to pray, for example, which is a big part of of my day to day life. Um, think about again eating. Um, I could eat everything out there. It was really nice. It felt really. I kind of felt like I was at home, a home away from home, and that was a lovely feeling. Um, if I'm honest with you. So should we go on to the uh, the dream? The, the, uh, yes, let's talk about the dream. Yeah, let's talk about it. I always get excited when someone. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll keep you sitting down for the moment. When did that come When did that come about? And so how long have you been percolating in yeah. the back of your mind? It's something that came about during COVID, actually. So it's, I would say it's fairly new. Um, it's not something that, you know, I've, you know, you hear of stories of people that, you know, since they were little, they were wanting to play for England. That was not me. This dream sort of came to me uh, in more recent years. Um, and I'll talk about like how it sort of came about. So I just remember being like at work during COVID. Obviously, I worked as a neonatal nurse in NHS, and um, we just saw a lot of things where you know, for example, I was looking after a premature baby um, whose mother was upstairs in ICU, intubated, um, you know, had a breathing tube down, and we wasn't sure if she was going to make it or not. So I'm there looking after the child who had to be born by emergency C-section because the mother couldn't cope with the pregnancy because of her COVID. So it was instances like that that made me feel like, oh my God, like life is too short and you just never know what could happen around the corner. So I just thought, like, during that time, I just thought there's something more for me out there than just the nursing. And the rugby at that time was going well, not necessarily on the pitch, but just the influence I was having. And I thought, this, I can make a lot, you know, I can make a difference with my passion which is rugby, but also, um, you know, fulfil a greater potential. So I decided then to put nurse in the back burner and I spoke to my manager, I was like, listen, I want to, you know, go for my rugby. I want to become uh, in- international and uh, Red Rose. And everyone was really supportive, you know, managers, my teammates, my, uh, not teammates, my colleagues were just like, good luck, you know. And yeah, and that was it. And that was in t- 2021, uh, which I was fully sort of, away from the NHS and I've never looked back since then and uh, 
I don't regret it. It was, the, it was literally one of the most hardest decisions I made because if you think about it, I was going into away from my comfort, which was nursing. I did it for eight years. Um, it's It was my personal passion because I was premature myself. So it meant a lot, but I just felt like rugby had bigger things for me. And I made a decision I never looked back since then. I'm happy. I'm content with that decision. I am. You've, you've sort of engaged a few big names, Maggie Alfonsi, mm-hmm. Sean Brown. Yeah, Adam Jones helping you out. Oh and, yeah, and Marcus yeah, yeah. Smith training. Oh, what yeah. if I half can teach a prop forward? I don't. Any? Did he have any tips there? Or was that more from? Well, Adam? I I spoke to Marcus about like just general advice. You know, someone that's up and coming that wants to break into international scene. Like, and he had really good advice. You know, he talked about just being, you know, dedicated and you know working hard, etc. Um, which is great. Um, and Maggie, yeah, she's she's amazing. She is definitely one of you know my heroes and actually when I think about there was a time actually where I was thinking maybe rugby's not for me you know I'm look left I'm looking right I'm not seeing many people that look like me maybe rugby's not for me but there was two things that kept me in it and Maggie was definitely one of them um and she remains like a, a good friend of mine and we, we talk every now and again and she's very supportive of me and uh yeah she's a great person you know what an absolute player she was as well and yeah very incredible. The, the other um, group you're involved with, the Muslim Sports Foundation, mm-hmm. actually, a wider umbrella than than rugby. Presumably for that, your focus is rugby with them. How did that come about? And uh, yeah, and, and have you enjoyed working with them? So the Muslim Rugby, it, it was the online platform that I um, sort of created. So it's not necessarily like a company or anything like that. It was just me wanted to smash the stereotypes. There's a lot of stereotypes around um, specifically to do with Muslim women. And I wanted to sort of show that actually, you know, we enjoy sports. We love sports just as much as, you know, any other demographic. And we can play sports and we're here to stay, basically. So it was more of like an online platform uh, to create awareness, but also to hopefully... um, create some sort of unity and bond within with other Muslim women within rugby. So that's kind of how it came about, really. What's your first memory of rugby? Mm. Either seeing it on the TV when you were young or, or perhaps seeing it in the park when you're walking through. What can you recall when you first saw rugby? It was on the TV, actually. Um, it was one of those things where, you know, Dad was sitting and flicking through the channels and I just think, what the hell is that? Just seeing, like, men just jumping on top of each other in mud like what is that you know it just it never made I was just, I was just like what is this <laughs> but that was sort of my first in sort of like look into rugby I had no idea how to play or anything like that um but my second introduction was actually at PE um at school I went to Chiswick School in West London and my teacher at the time Miss McCauley got some rugby balls in and was like right girls we're gonna do, uh, we're gonna do rugby today and I was like okay yeah, I remember what I saw on the TV. Oh, let's check this out. Let's see what it's like. And when she spoke about the rules, the basics, you know, pass backwards, run forwards. And I just remember holding the ball and I just thought, oh, wow, like, this sport is amazing. Like, where has this sport been all my life, you know? Um, so, yeah, I think that was my first memory of, of touching a rugby ball and trying to play. That, was that about 14? Yeah, I was 14 years old, yeah. 14. And how soon after that was it when you said, yeah, this is something I'm going to be involved with for a long time? Well, I think it wasn't until three years later, actually. <laughs> so I, did, I liked sports in general. Um, I did uh, an A-level in physical education. And I remember at the time, my the other PE teacher, Miss um, Puddleton, was like, you need to do a physical element of your course. What sport do you want to do? 
And I was umming and ahhing and I thought, well, do you know what? I really want to do rugby because actually I remember 14-year-old Z with the other PE teacher. I really enjoyed it. So, yeah, miss, I want to do rugby. And she's like, okay, we'll speak to the head teacher because rugby wasn't on the curriculum then. We're going to speak to her teacher. We're going to get him to pay for your year's membership um, down at a local club and, you know, we'll, you'll do rugby. And I just remember um, she had a white Nissan mic by the time, which is the most hideous thing ever. <laughs> Terrible cars, <laughs> absolutely awful, awful cars. But it worked, and it got us from from Chiswick to to Ealing, and yeah, it was my my journey at my first rugby club side at Ealing Trailfinders um, under 18s Emeralds, and yeah, I never looked back. I never looked back since then, and that's where it all started for me. What was it like there for 17-year-old Z coming in, aware that? Perhaps there won't be a lot of people from a similar background, similar culture. 17, mm. perhaps you'd be training with, with women with a completely different life. Yeah. Um, what was that like? So what, what type of deep breath did you have to take before coming? Or was it you just charged yeah, straight uh, up? I literally just got stuck in. Um, I remember the first time I came, I got lost. <laughs> first time coming to Elin, I got lost. And I phoned um, my coach at the time. His name was Jeff Bloom. And I was like, Jeff. I basically, I was run, I was walking around Ealing, West Ealing, and I was like, where is this club? Like, I've been here before with my teacher. We came in a car, in the car, so I couldn't remember. Um, and I missed the whole session. I missed the whole session because I was running around looking for where it was. And I remember my, the, Jeff came and uh, found me in the middle of Ealing. <laughs> and he drove us to the rugby club. I was like, okay, so this is where it is. And I was like, okay. So from then on, I, I managed to make my own way from there on. Um, but in terms of coming to a club, I didn't really notice, really, in terms of I was different, in terms of, you know, being Muslim woman playing rugby. I was just enjoying the game. Like, it was something that I enjoyed. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was just enjoying running with the ball in hand. Um, so I have really fond memories of my first sort of times at Ealing. And I made, you know, good friends, friends that I'm still, you know, people that I'm still friends with now. Um, so, yeah, I had really good fond memories of Ealing. And then you went from you went up to University of Hertfordshire. That's like, so right. You played at Millwall, played yeah. at Barnes. Yeah. Now at Richmond, Richmond one, of, one yeah. of the grand old yeah. ladies of, of English rugby. Yeah. What's it like down there? Yeah. In, 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 you know, playing from the, the great old clubs. It's sort of the way your yeah. your career's progressed. Oh, it was such a it, amazing. I always always you know have pride you know when I put on that Richmond shirt because I know the legacy that badge holds. Like that was one of the main things that pulled me towards that club because knowing how many how people that you know were played played in that shirt the history you know the founders pretty much the founders of English rugby you know um and yeah it just it, it just brings me so much pride to to be part of the squad and it's amazing I in terms of ethnicity um always uh happy to say that it's actually the most diverse club I've been at um the longer the days where I look left and right and I feel like I'm the only you know ethnic minority in the club in the club or in my team I look left and right in my current team now at Richmond and I you know there's many of us and that fills me with a lot of joy and it's nice because you have people that understand you um you know people that probably listen to the similar music as you in a changing room so like yeah it's really nice to be part of such a diverse club most recently you were on the score sheet for uh was it the penultimate match of the season was the last well, it was the last match. Tell yeah. us a little about that try. Um, so that try was probably one of the, a dream try in the sense that um, I, it, it took a lot of work. So one of our forwards had the ball. She was just 
trotting down the pitch, making a lot of rounds. And I was a support runner. So I had to run as fast as I could to get there because if she needed to offload, I, I had to be an option. So I just remember busting my gut and I could see she get she got held in a tackle. And I just sort of shouted comes to her like, left, left, left. <laughs> and she managed to get the ball and offload it to me. And I was just away and I just ran. As, I did not look back. I just ran as fast as I could to the try line, dotted the ball down and I just got up and just, you know, and everyone came running to me and it was a nice experience because I've always wanted, like, it's one of those tries where you sort of imagine it will happen, but it never does. <laughs> but it happened, you know, uh, it was a, it was a nice, well-worked try and I think what made, meant, what it meant, I think, was, or the fact that I enjoyed it was that I knew I had to work hard because I had to really bust the gut to get there to be an option. Uh, whereas the other tries that I've scored in the season, it was really like, you know, the proper forwards, typical try, at the back of a rolling mall or at the back of a, you know, scrum or, you know, that kind of forwards. Yeah, pick and goes. goes, you know. So this one was different. And that's how I like to play rugby. You know, I originally was a, a back, so it kind of took me back a little bit and it was nice to score a try like that. As we are, was your husband and your three kids there? Were they there to watch you? They weren't. They weren't, unfortunately. Um, they have been before and, and other occasions, but that, that particular game, they weren't, unfortunately. But I'm, I'm hoping to get them down soon at the RAG um, together because they've been separately, uh, but I would love them all to come down together. This is the All This Podcast by Give Up with me, Jeremy Inson. I'm talking to Zainab Alema about promoting rugby in non-traditional cultures, notably among Muslim females. Those sort of women's issues that we hear from from those at the top, what sort of conversations do you have amongst yourselves in the changing rooms, training or matches, just over those issues and, and other type of issues that yeah, that's women's sport? I think it's it's a step in the right direction. It's so important. I think both of those, um, you know, the maternity policy, especially for me as a mother, like I can fully understand why it needs to be had and it needs to, you know, and actually. How come it's taken so long? <laughs> um, it's not today that women started having children, you know, and playing sports. So, it, but we're, obviously, it's a good thing that it's, it's actually been recognised, and it's just you know policies to be in place because now athletes don't have to you know have to choose between their career and starting a family. They can actually do both. Yes, it's still going to be difficult, but actually, there's policy in place to help facilitate that, which is amazing. Um, in terms of like you know period anxiety issues, I think that's also been a big topic of discussion. So you know even women's kit in general, um, and it's nice to see brands you know such as Canterbury, um, you know openly sort of supporting the women in sport and actually giving them the opportunity to to play sport whilst wearing kit they're comfortable with because obviously I think if you what's that sort of phrase look good feel good play good it lifts that burden doesn't it on mm-hmm. the players you, know, you don't have to yeah. worry about yeah about I mean the game is sometimes tricky as it is and you have to worry about other things happening so I think it's it alleviates that stress of worry and that anxiety so the players and athletes can play and perform at their best which is great Talking of all things maternal, your, your three children, they weren't there to see that last match. Yes. You try. Um, how involved are they? I mean, judging by your social media and your husband, involved <laughs> yeah. greatly in tackle yeah, practice and, yeah. and, and using them as a squat rack. As well. mean, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've seen those videos. I mean, he's got no choice. And actually, before I got married, um, I've, it was one of my non-negotiables. I said, look, you know, okay, you're interested in me, fair. But you need to understand that rugby is a big part of my life. 
And if you're marrying me, you're potentially married. Uh, you know, rugby's gonna be a third person relationship. Are you happy with that? Yes or no? So yeah, I'm happy to support you in that. I'm happy, you know, you know it's fine by me. And I was like, okay, well, done deal. Done. The rest is history, and almost at a ten year anniversary. Congratulations! Nice. Thank you. I think we've got how many more years? Next year. Oh my okay. god, next year! Wow. Get saved into Time the anniversary present. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But um, yeah. So he's massively involved. Like, like I said, I used him doing lockdown a lot as, <laughs> as, a tackle tackle, bag. as a tackle bag and just doing drills here and there so I do rope him in when I, I need help the kids too it's, um, there's always a, a rugby ball in the house floating about so do they play at all they don't play uh, my my oldest so the six-year-old she <laughs> when she came to watch me a few times she was like mommy like I know I said I want to play rugby but I don't want to get hurt so I'm not sure if I'm interested in all <laughs> So she, when she came to watch, she saw one of our teammates who came off, like, I think she had a nosebleed or something after being hit. And uh, she was just like, oh, my God, what the hell's going on here? So I think that put her off a bit. But we'll see. But she does like sports in general. She's into, like, her gymnastics and stuff. Uh, um, but, yeah, I'm not sure if I can get her to play rugby. But as long as she's staying active and she's happy, I think that's the most important thing. Absolutely. Uh, and... Um... When when you come off, when they do come watch, what's it like for you seeing them on the sidelines? Oh, I you're love covered it. In mud? Yeah, I absolutely love it. Like, I feel like, I mean, I always try and play my best anyway, but sometimes when you know you've got family watching, you're probably putting that extra 1%. <laughs> um, and it's just nice because actually it's all about them knowing that, yes, I'm their mother, but I'm also a rugby player and I also have other things that I do in my life and I want to teach them that they can that can be the same for them that they grow up and they can do have you know wear multiple hats and you know as long as they're happy that's sort of the most important thing so hopefully I'm teaching them by being an example and how about your dad and your mum do they because your dad wasn't too keen at first yeah he wasn't too keen at first but now he shouts on the rooftops that I play rugby to everyone he meets (laughs) um my my mum's watched me before as well I think she couldn't bear like I came off and I think I had a scratch or I had like a bus slip. And she's like, oh my God, my baby. And I thought, like, mom, like, this is nothing. <laughs> but she was, she's always been like, oh my God, like, don't get injured, don't this, which is a typical mom thing to do. Like, uh, but yeah, it's funny. Now, of course, as we said, you've got three children. Yeah. And you played around it. How did you sort of, how did that work with your pregnancy and, and, and also getting back to top, yeah, top form yeah. after, after you've given birth? Um. It's not easy, um, but the thing is, there was never a doubt in my mind that I'd ever get back onto the pitch after having kids. I think it was always something that I strive to to do, um, mainly because obviously rugby is a big part of my identity almost. And I felt like if I wasn't playing rugby, I probably wasn't myself. So I made it a, a thing for me to try and get back onto the pitch every time I had a child. Um, there wasn't one in- instance in, uh, I think it was so after my third child, where I went to Middlesex County Charles eight weeks after I'd given birth. And I just pulled up with a baby, my baby in a car seat, and you know, I went to changing rooms, put her down and got changed and I could see like getting stairs and people were like, What the hell? why the hell's like why is there a baby in a changing room? And no one said anything. There was a few people like, Oh, cute baby, but I could just read their face like, What the <laughs> hell is going on here? Uh, but I didn't care. I'm like, I'm here to play rugby and um it was a county, you know, trial. So you can imagine everybody's given their best. And there's me who unfit, 100% unfit, you know, 
you know, like my, my body's probably still trying to heal from the pregnancy and I'm there and like, I want to play rugby. And uh, it was just a flop because <laughs> I was so unfit. Uh, but it, it, was, it, it was good in a sense that it gave me a sense of how the level I needed to be at if I wanted to play at that level. And, you know, I tried again and trialed the following season. Yeah, I managed to get in, which is amazing. And it, I really felt like I accomplished something because I knew how much it meant to me to represent Middlesex. You know, Middlesex, I was born and bred in Middlesex, so to represent your county is always an honour. And to know that I didn't get it the first time and then I managed to get it the second time, it just made it that much, that much sweeter. So, yeah. And now, talking to you, again, the, all the things we talked over, there's yeah. an inner determination. How much do you put that down to the fact that you were born after 26 weeks, so 14 weeks premature, um, and uh, 930 grams, which yeah. is, in old money is 2.5 pounds. Yeah. When the average, the average female birth is, uh, every female childbirth, seven pounds four ounces or three thousand two hundred eighty eight grams so mm. sort of less than a yeah. quarter of the weight yeah. of, a, of an of an average baby mm -hmm. how much of, of your resolve your steeliness do you put down to that i think a lot of it actually because it's kind of like where it all began really i think it's, it's a mixture so obviously my faith has a lot to do with it because i just feel like you know, it's got me through a lot of tough times, but it's just the way I came into the world. Like, like I came, I was nosy. I came out of nowhere early and then I had obviously had battles to, to fight in order to actually leave the hospital healthy. So I kind of felt like I always had that inner um, want to, to, to strive and to fight and to, to make something of myself. So, yeah, I definitely think the beginning stage of my life has helped me in you know the way I make my decisions and the way I carry myself today, hundred percent. Now going back to playing rugby as a Muslim woman, the first thing is that you walk into a rugby club and pretty much the first thing you see is the bar, a very large bar. <laughs> then you look around the corner and there's usually a, a hog roast, um, things which unfortunately offer the menu to you. Yeah. How do you sort of deal with those those yeah. things, things like that? I mean, I've read. Mm -hmm. You're saying about when you're at university, you haven't have a pint as. Yeah. As Did you have to do an extra forfeit or something to make up for not doing the pint? Do you have to sing a song or anything? No, nobody actually did that to me. I don't know if maybe people were a bit scared to sort of for like, they were a bit more like, mm, okay, she can't have a pint. Okay, we'll leave it then and we'll nominate someone else. Uh, but towards the end of my, my rugby time at uni, um, I was offered an alcoholic pint of, I think it was like a lemonade or something. Uh, which I had to down pretty quickly because I'm like, there's no way I'm losing to these, you know, women who are actually drinking alcohol. So, and they're like, wow, Z, imagine if you drank, you'd have been so amazing. <laughs> and apparently it's meant to be harder because it's fizzy. Like we, I think that's the thinking, yeah. But, but uh, isn't it like um, the taste? Wouldn't the taste make it hard though? Like in terms of alcohol? I'm, I'm used to down the drink, so I couldn't tell. I should take five or six efforts. So oh, I, really? I was, I was trying to avoid it. <laughs> as well so we're in the same boat yeah kind of lemonade sounds lovely to me yeah um, but also i mean there was an element of it with um the, the england cricket team which won the 2019 cricket world cup mm -hmm. uh moeen ali mm -hmm. and rashid ali it was that lovely moment when they were about to crack open the champagne bottles mm -hmm. and both and then they saw i think it was Owen morgan who was the captain at the time so went hang on mm -hmm. made sure let them get out of the way so yeah. they didn't they weren't sprayed with, yeah has has that does that resonate with you and uh, yeah I think way? that's a nice gesture that shows respect for your teammate and it shows that you're aware your awareness of certain cultural you know nuances so to speak so I think stuff, stuff like that and 
it's all about comes from open communication because people don't know what they don't know. So I'm I'm guessing they probably know that about his faith and they know that maybe something like that is not something he'll be comfortable with. So a lot of it is about education. And I try to do my best to sort of educate people around me, especially if I feel like it's something that is going to conflict with my rugby. I like to make it open and clear, like sort of what my boundaries are, etc. So, um, yeah, it's quite it's quite nice to hear stuff like that because it means people are, you know, being inclusive and they're taking into account other people's values and beliefs and not trying to, to impact that, which is good. This is the All This Podcast by Give a Ruck with me, Jeremy Inson. I'm talking to Zainab Alema about promoting rugby in non-traditional cultures, notably among Muslim females. What sort of conversations do you have with your teammates yeah. on that? Do they come to you asking something they may have seen on the news or, or um, something that's topical? Yeah, I mean, there's a few instances where they've come to me, but sometimes if I go to them, like I've spoken to my team manager on numerous occasions, just to kind of... Um, so I made it a thing, for example. So then I speak to you about prayer. So praying... Um, as a Muslim, you pray five times a day. And um, it's something that uh, I obviously hold close to. So I made it a point to speak to my club and say, look, I, if it's possible, I'm going to need a prayer space. Um, and, you know, Richmond have been absolutely amazing in doing that. They've given me, you know, I've got keys. I know where to find the keys to a certain space where I can go and, and do my prayers. I need, like, what? five ten minutes of a quiet space cleaning room so I could do my prayers um and that's so it's such a small gesture but it means so much to me. I remember actually being on the phone speaking to my team manager about this and I was literally crying because I was like you don't know how much this means to me because actually previously what I'd had to do is I had to be very meticulous about if we had an away game or whatnot I would to try and find a space to pray before the match starts so I would often pray in parks often find somewhere where it's just quiet and just pray outside and that's not ideal because if it's pissing it down if it's raining you know and if safety issue like obviously in prayer you concentrate someone could just come in and attack you or so it's not ideal so I had to it's something that I had to do and after having that conversation as well we made sure that actually all the in, everyone in the league so if we had an away fixture they were also prepped to give me a space which has been amazing because you know, I always think about if I am no longer at Richmond one day, the next person that comes in who is of Muslim faith, who needs that space, they can, Richmond could be like, oh, we've got a space for you. Z used to use this. Do you know what I mean? So sometimes it's about, it's not just about myself. It's about the next person that comes. And I think in rugby, I'm, I look at a lot of things, I look at a lot of things like that because I probably am the first to do many things within rugby. So yeah, it's, it's about being open and honest, really. And of course, very topical at the moment is it Ramadan? Yes. Uh, with the fasting, you're playing while fasting. How how tricky is that to balance and again let people know? Um, and how did you go about ensuring that you had enough energy mm. um, and enough enough fluid in you yes. so that you could play eighty minutes of rugby? So I so we have this um, pre-fasting meal in the morning. Um, you can eat what you want, really, but I've tried to be really um, clever with what I eat. So things that are high in carbohydrates, slow-releasing carbs, um, protein as well is a big thing. And so if I get that right, then it helps. And hydration is key, like drinking loads of water is key, because if you think about it, 
sometimes not the food, it's the dehydration that gets you when you're fasting. I'm actually fasting now, by the way. <laughs> Just to put that in there. And um, so I played the game, I think it was two weeks now, whilst fasting. And do you know what? It went really well. And actually, I, I truly believe if you came to watch me that day and you didn't know it was Ramadan, you probably wouldn't realise that I was fasting. I don't think it affected my performance. Well, I will say that. I don't know but if my teammates say that. But <laughs> I played, I think, how I'd want to be. If anything, I was probably a bit more sharper because um, I, you know, I, I wasn't being weighed down by food. So I had a bit more energy. Um, but I will say that I think as the moment I did break my fast, about two minutes later, when sort of my body realised, oh, wow, there's something coming in. I think that's when everything saw. I was like, oh, my God, I'm actually really tired. I'm actually really you know um thing and by that time the game was over <laughs> so, yeah so I think I was playing an autopilot I was you know going through the motions and I think I, I ended up on club 15 of the week I was like oh my god like, if I did that whilst I was fasting then there's no excuse for me not to do that again whilst I've got a lot more fuel in me you know the other one is is you wear the hijab as well mm-hmm. and you're, how, how, did, how does that work what sort of incidents have you had yeah at all with it that, that sort of shaped how you how you, how you mm. dress for your match if you like um, so, yeah, the hijab that I wear is a sports one. So it's uh, my, i got a good friend who has her own sort of brands. Um, and it's breathable, it's lightweight. So it's different from the one I'm wearing now, the normal hijab, because in the fact that it's lightweight, it's breathable, it doesn't sort of doesn't, you don't sweat as much as in there, the technology of the fabric. Um, and so that's good. But before, when I started playing rugby, I didn't really know how to navigate myself, like, you know, so I remember there's an incident actually at Elin, um, under 18s, and uh, I was playing, and uh, it came off during the act of scoring a try. But I didn't realize until after, and then I felt wind in my scalp. I was like, "Oh my god, it's come off!" And I was, it was, it was quite. It's, I can look back and I can look back and laugh at the time. I was so embarrassed <laughs> because my hair was not done, and it, it, for all the time for it to come off, I was like, "Oh my god." Uh, so I just picked it, I picked it back up, put it on, and I just got cut on with the game. So, um, so since then, to avoid that, I wear a scrum cap to play. And actually, nobody didn't really notice because obviously I'm a front row forward. I play in the in the in the front row, so it's normal to see a front row wearing a scrum cap. But I simply wear it to keep my headscarf on. Um, when that incident happened at Ealing, what sort of reaction was there? Mm. Good one, bad one. Um, it was more like worried because they're like, "Oh my god, like is she okay?" I was fine, but I was just like embarrassed. And I think they were like, they were really, they were really it was a nice uh, reaction. I think they just came to me and make sure I was okay, and you know, um, obviously congratulating for the try. But the first sort of instinct was like to check if I was okay because obviously I didn't hurt myself. My scarf just came off. <laughs> but I think they realised that this is a big moment here because obviously she, they understand that my hair should be covered so for it to come is like what's happening here like what do we do here so yeah I look back at it with with laughter um but the the initial uh reactions were, were really nice heartwarming yeah it's good to know um I mean you mentioned the hijab Brunel University just down the road mm. they've added one to their yes their outfits um and uh, you know you're flying the flag for rugby. The Sisterhood FC, which are up in Liverpool, girl Muslim football team, um, hijabi runners, which are in, in Leeds. There's a mm-hmm. lot of you know things which, if not Muslim specific, mm-hmm. they're at least their needs are put at the forefront of, of the sporting endeavour, if mm-hmm. you like. How good is that 
from, from your point of view to see. Oh, that's amazing because actually, you know, it it means that the next up and coming Z or Muslim, you know, women that wants to play sports, they've got that sort of help um, there because at that time I didn't really have anyone really and I still had to figure it out myself. Um, and I do get people ask me, like, I remember I had one girl got in touch with me, I was like, I play in the front row as well, like yourself, but whenever I get down to scrummage, like it falls out of place and I, I fiddle about with it a lot. Like, what can I do to just help? And I was like, let's wear a scrum cap. That's what I do. And she's like, that is a fabulous idea, you know? And I, it almost seems like a light bulb moment. And, you know, and to know that I've gone through that and I'm able to impart that knowledge onto her and now she's probably going to, it to others so I think things like that is so important and there's a lot of it comes down to visibility and the demand for it so if a lot of if there is that visibility and there's a demand hopefully more of these initiatives can happen and we see more like Muslim women taking part in sport. Now as you said earlier you're uh, you've taken a bit of a hiatus a bit of a career break from being a neonatal nurse was it Chelsea and Westminster? Yes you yes You've done your research. I mean, it's, it's, you know, you've got rugby, which is your passion, but nursing is very much a career which you have to be passionate about. Mm-hmm. It's not one you can pick up. Oh, you cannot, yeah. You without to. really fully invested in. Yeah. Um, how hard was it just to walk away? And, and you mentioned talking to managers. Everyone was supportive. Mm-hmm. And how good was that, happening, knowing that you could do that yeah. while you chased your dream? It was, it was, it was like I said, the, one of the most toughest decisions I've ever had to make. Uh, purely because it was my comfort, and it really, I had to come out of my comfort zone. Because if you have, if you think about it, it was, it was my job. I had a salary. Jumping into rugby, which, as you know, like is not you're not professional until you reach the top. And um, so it was mean taking a, a financial loss. Obviously, um, it would mean um, stepping into unknown. Um, so it was a tough decision, but yeah, like my workplace were really supportive. They're like, you know, this is what you want to do, then go for it. Really, um, a lot of my colleagues were just, you know, happy for me that I was actually doing. They they almost kind of felt like, oh, oh, they they wish they had something that they could call their own, that they could actually put nursing on hold or have a hobby that they could have, they could be so passionate about they can also do. So who knows? I feel like maybe some of them probably ended up taking passions ups as well knowing that I I did that and made that leap so yeah they were really supportive. Has it sort of changed your relationship with rugby because when you were a nurse obviously a neonatal nurse you've probably got some probably for another podcast with stories from, <laughs> from, the, from the front line as a neonatal yeah. rugby you know two or three times a week and on a Sunday would have been your release mm-hmm. from that yeah how has it sort of changed changed yeah your relationship yeah. with rugby? Well actually um not much has changed because actually I've still I've got three kids <laughs> so which I feel like it's a full-time job in its own so this full-time job of being a mother replaced the full-time job of being a nurse <laughs> so it's pretty much but I do look back and think how the hell did I cope how did I cope playing rugby training by the week doing my shifts as a nurse and also having to look after three little ones I cannot tell you how. I don't know how. Because even now, it's a bit of a struggle. So I don't know how I did it when it was, I had more things going on. Like, yeah. It just blows my mind, really. Because you just put it down to the fact you were passionate about all three of them. It's yeah, true, the, the yeah, yeah. Your job and your yeah, children. Yeah, it's true. Uh, <laughs> I mean, without going too, too big, obviously, nurses are in the news. Uh, yes. On the front line, the strikes, better pay, better conditions. 
Uh, how supportive are you of those? Yeah, I back um, my nursing colleagues 100% with that. Um, I, I th- because I'm not sort of part of the more. I don't have, my vote doesn't really count, but I support them and I think what they're doing is necessary um, for the future of the NHS. And I think the workforce is, it's almost crumbling, you know, the NHS. And I think the government needs to basically wake up and be aware of the dire situation at NHS. And then we need funding, we need um, to support our doctors, our medical staff, etc., to be able to fulfill their jobs properly. Um, yeah, the NHS service needs, if I'm being honest with you, and I just hope that these strikes and the voices of the nurses and the medics are heard and they actually get what they deserve in terms of pay. Because if you think about the cost of living crisis as well, it's going up. Their pay is not going up. Stressful, more stressful times at work. It's just, yeah, it's a bit of a mess, really. And when I look back, maybe actually there was a reason. I probably left at the right time, actually. <laughs> Had you still been working as a nurse, would you would you likely to have been on the on the front line? Um, you mean uh, at striking and yeah, oh, okay, uh, at least I, part of the part of the act. Yeah. I think I definitely would have opted, yeah, to be to support them because I think it's necessary because. You know that would be, that would have been my life. I would be the the, the ones that are going in having stressful stuff, not paying well, etc. Uh, but saying at the same time, nurses nurses do have a duty of care. It's a tough one. I'm just happy I don't have to deal with it right now. <laughs> Should we go back to rugby? Let's Just go back to rugby. <laughs> 2021, you received Vitality Sunday Times Grassroots Sportswoman of the Year. Yeah, um, it was 2020, um, but it was. Oh, it was amazing. And do you know how it came about? So it was actually my my um, teammate at Barnes, uh, who sneakily, sneakishly, if that's the word. She basically, um, without me knowing, put in a request for this award because they were looking for um, nominees. And she obviously did that. And then the only time she spoke to me was like, oh, see, you've been shortlisted. And they want to speak to you, have an interview. I was like, oh my god like what have you done what's happened and she explained to it briefly and that was it and then so I was shortlisted for an award and then I ended up winning the award which was another like I was like oh my god like it was amazing because of people who are in my category they were all amazing and done the great things as well but for me to win I was like this is just incredible and I think that was around the time as well before I made a decision to so it was things like this that was happening I thought I can have a big influence here within rugby and rugby is my passion already. Maybe I could do more. So that also influenced my decision to, to leave nursing, actually. <laughs> but thank you, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> next steps. How would you like to see the efforts you've been making? How would you like to see them develop over the next five, ten years? And, yeah. And perhaps see rugby embrace diversity mm-hmm. a little bit more than it is yeah. at the moment. I think I just would like to... Um, see it continue on the trajectory i feel like um, we are seeing more ethnic minorities partake in in uh rugby i know that the rfp are working hard to try and um really push that with things like um rugby united uh programs that they they're rolling out and that's specifically to get black and ethnic minorities into rugby and boost those numbers so it's looking promising which is exciting i'd like to see definitely more um you know, Muslim women get into rugby um, and just getting into sports in general it doesn't have to be rugby, really. Just being more active because actually research shows we're the least active society. Muslim women are least active. 
Um, and that's a lot of factors that come down to accessibility, um, funding, uh, visibility. There's a lot of things that go down to it. So, yeah, I just hope that hopefully my efforts will inspire people to be more active, whether it's rugby or not, and actually to follow their dreams, really. That's, that's the kind of impact I want to make. Looking back, how much has rugby given given you in your life and, uh, and oh my god and where you are now what would That's it be a, like without it I can't even imagine if I'm honest with you because I always think of rugby as a dear friend I just have my analogy because it was there um for my teenage years rugby was there when I got married it was one of my non-negotiables to get married rugby was there from a you know child to births and it's there still now so I sort of see rugby as a dear friend of mine um, and it shaped a lot of things in my life. Um, the ability to meet deep people from different walks of life, different backgrounds. I never take that for granted because you could be in a team and there's people from, you know, different backgrounds, different way of lives, um, different cultures. And it's just nice that we're all coming together to play this one sport because we love it. And I think there's a beauty in that. Um, it's It's given me you know, a bit of confidence, definitely, because I would say I was definitely a lot of an introvert growing up, and now, I don't know, I've morphed into, maybe not extrovert, maybe a bit in the middle. Um, <laughs> and rugby, I think, has given me that confidence. And it gave me the ability to, to, to travel the world, you know. been to Morocco, I've been to Turkey, you know, I've been to different places because of rugby. And, yeah, it's given me so much, and I know it's, it's still got more to give me. 100% and I can't wait to see what else rugby's got in store for me. This young Muslim girl out there listening to this uh, wants to try rugby or any other sport, what would your advice to her be? Go for it, girl. Yeah, go for it. Um, you don't know if you're not going to like it until you try. Um, you know, it, just be yourself as well. I think it's one of the most important messages because sometimes it's, it's easy for you to follow the crowd. It's, it's easy for you to just maybe sort of not think about your values and just follow what everyone else is doing. It's actually harder for you to be yourself sometimes. Uh, but if you do that, ultimately you're going to inspire other people to also be themselves. And yeah, I was just told, you know, that person to just give it a go, uh, but also stick to your, your values and your, and be authentic. And what sort of advice would you have to coaches and people at that sports club who would be welcoming that young Muslim girl in? I'll say um, be open-minded, be uh, be open to accept um, change, um, and be be a good listener. Like be in terms of like I feel like it's so important if that you know person was heard, and actually the the clubs or the coaches etc were able to accommodate them specifically to their needs. Um, yeah, so just be open, uh, be accommodating, and and listen. Finally, you're well known as an El Grey aficionado. You like yeah. The, the you you promised me an El Grey. Where is it? This I'm time, passing this time. Time. It's fine. You had a choice: <laughs> rugby or El Grey. Which one would you get rid of? Rugby or El Grey? <gasps> oh my god! That's a bit El Grey. Yeah, no, 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 no. Two thinking about that. I do love El Grey. So twinings. I'm trying to get a sponsorship at the time. But um, yeah, rugby all the way. Fantastic. Thank you very much for chatting. It's been great to listen to your story. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. That was the All Ears podcast with me, Jeremy Inson. Thanks for listening. And remember to subscribe and follow us on all the usual social media channels. See you next time. Mm-hmm.